Hi, I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And on the phone with us today is Pam Bligian, Senior Vice President, Marketing and Communications at Navy Federal Credit Union, to discuss sort of where the bank is, where it's going, and how it's achieved the successes it has to date. Welcome, Pam. Thank you for having me. So, Pam, Navy Federal Credit Union has been number one in our CX index for multi-channel banks. So it's been a leading bank in the U.S. for three years running. Why do you think that's true? What What is separating you from the pack, if you will? I think one of the things that separates us from the group is our DNA as a credit union is really based on being, and you'll hear all credit unions talk about everybody here that's a customer is a member and member-focused. I think at Navy Federal, we take it one step further, and we are member-focused. Everybody is a member, but we're also member-obsessed. We try to think about every process we implement, products we introduce, um, communications that we send out, how we service them in the context of putting that member in the middle and making sure they have a seat at the table. And it starts with a lot of simple things. I mean, are we um, one of the, the the three things that we kind of focus around is how are we how do we know our members better and show that how do we help them faster and then the last one is how do we wow them how do we surprise and delight them in small ways and just really show them that we're truly a financial ally to them and a key part of your member base are essentially people coming into the military at a young age. So those are folks coming into their adult life, probably new to financial management. Could you just sort of walk through how you think of serving that member base? Well, we spend a lot of time trying to keep our pulse on that member base because you're right. We're often their their first financial partner. There's a lot of individuals that serve up, show up to serve the military in that 18 to 20, 21 time frame. So it's not only their first job, but it's their first time, their first serious job, their first time away from home. Um, Adulting happens really quick in the military. Um, They're trained and then deployed and then given very big assignments and a lot of responsibilities early on. So we try to make sure that we recognize that and keep them at at the front when we're designing products and thinking about that, which means... If you're 18 and buying a first car loan, you probably don't know how to shop for it um, and how to compare rates and what else are you going to need to to have a car and how much should you budget for insurance, et cetera. So we try to make sure that we've got content online that we can provide to those folks that's very um, consumer-friendly. It's not speaking in bank jargon, which just tells them, like, what do you need to do to register your car? Well, how much will you need to have to be able to afford a car? Um, what else should you think about besides, besides the payment? Um, how do you compare rates? So things that are educational, not necessarily just always selling. You know, here's why you should buy a car from us. And I want to animate this a bit. In our prior conversation we had, you were describing car loan refinancing and sort of how, how some of the members fell into loans that were very unfavorable and your role in bringing them to a different kind of place that made, made the financials more sensible. Could you walk through that a little bit? Sure. Um, We have a a major portion of our consumer lending profile for autos includes refinancing. And and I'm relatively new here. I've been here about a year and a half. And when I came on board, it seemed odd to me. Um, And the more I met with the business unit and figured that out, what happens is often active duty individuals will show up at their 
first duty station assignment and they're eager to buy a car. And so they'll go to a car dealer lot and sometimes they're taken advantage of because they'll figure out the car dealer will basically say, how much car can this, how much car can this person afford to pay for each month? And then because the person doesn't have a credit history, they'll put them in the highest rate pool. Um, and we look at it differently. We look at it, if you're gonna buy your first car from us, first of all, you have a contract for a job which not many people that age have a contract for a job. So we know that you're, because of your commitment to the military, we know that you're committed, you're committed to serve, and we know that you're going to have employment for the three years that we need for you to be able to pay us back for the loan. So because of that, we take a risk on a lot of folks that don't have bad credit but just are establishing their credit, people that are just starting out on their financial life. But for those that have gone to a dealership and um, made a, a poor decision, sometimes they've made the decision just based on, yes, I can afford that monthly payment. They get back to the base and they talk to individuals and figure out, oh, other folks are not paying that. They're, they're paying a rate that sometimes is two or three times the rate that we're charging. So they'll come into us and say, can you help us refinance it? And we are happy to refinance those loans. We know right away that that's somebody that we can trust. It's somebody that um, is taking on this responsibility for the car loan, and we're happy to refinance it for them at a rate that's much more affordable. It's funny. I don't know if you've heard me tell this story, but um, one of the things that I, as we, in this space, we all talk about embracing big data and how do we make big data smart data. I was at a branch in uh, Fort Hood, and I saw a Army soldier from across the base walk into the branch. He's in his uniform, so right away our member service rep knows his rank. And uh, she looks at him, and he, he shows his paperwork for a car that he's found that he would like to buy. And the thing I loved is our member service rep was able to look at him immediately and say, I'm going to preview for a car loan, but it's not going to be this one because um, he had picked out a $50,000 car and oh, wow. um, probably based on his rank, his annual income was about $23,000 a year. But being able to reassure him, it's not, no, you're not getting this. It's like, you're not getting this one, but I am going to help you find the kind of car that you can't afford and get you into the right size loan. And uh, I, I always love that because it's like big data walks in the door wearing a uniform. <laughs> so right away she knew what she could do for him and how she could help him and, and basically what he could afford. It's an interesting story. So underpinning this in our CX index work that we did across different industries, including banks, was when you look at the, the numbers, most customers rate, rate the sort of the transactional ex- excellence of, a, of an insurance company, of a bank, of a telco relatively well. They're saying basically you're running a good business. But when you measured on two different drivers, which is one, does the customer feel like their loyalty is rewarded? And two, does it does a company make them feel like a valued customer? You see these big gaps sort of, and the story kind of goes, companies are good at running their business, but they're not as good at making the connections with human beings. And that story sort of underpins the inherent cultural advantage that you're working from and how that gets brought to someone in a bank that actually can express that in real terms and actually and, and actually help make a financial decision, I think has been part of the ingredient that a lot of companies have struggled with, part of the equation. A lot of companies have struggled with this. How do I run my business well and maintain these human connections that are so important? 
And that's a struggle we have because, um, you know, we have, uh, we're omni-channel. We have everything from a 24-7 call center that's statewide and as well as digital properties, obviously, that uh, folks can log into the app and check their balances and transfer money and do a lot of their financial business. But we also know that the point of difference often is that personal service and the personal service that they get in branches, which for us, most of our branches are either on or near a base. Um, or um, that they get via the call center. Um, and that's the real point of difference because sometimes people don't know. They don't know what questions that they don't know. So being able to talk to someone and say, what really is APR and why should I care and um, how, do I, how do I go about proceeding with this in a, in a way that's user-friendly? So um, if you talk to our folks that work in the call center, we don't measure how quickly they can get somebody off the phone because we know often that, you know, that person that is starting out their financial life probably is going to have more questions than somebody who's much more experienced and, and um, probably has fewer questions. We also know because of their military lives, um, there's a good chance they're going to be deployed. There's a good chance. So helping them be ready for that and have they thought through, we'll provide the checklist and stuff on what they need to do to be ready but also are there to answer any questions uh, one-to-one. How are you harmonizing that experience across sort of physical, digital, um, you know, call center experience? Because I think that's, you know, as consumers, we don't think of that being a different set of people. It's, you know, the brand as a whole that you're interacting with. So above and beyond what you just mentioned, Pam, how, how are you thinking about that connection regardless of the channel that, the consumer or the member is, is um, interacting with? Well, we try to make it truly omni-channel. So your choice. If you want to come into a branch to check your balance, you can. Is that the most efficient way to do it? Probably not because you can log into the app and see your balance at any time. So we offer that same service in lots of channels, and we try to make sure that the brand delivery, regardless of the channel that you choose to interact with us and the channel that you need to, that you choose to use to do whatever type of transaction or get information from, that it feels like the same brand coming through. It's that same Navy Federal that is that trusted financial ally. Um, trust is big for us. We know that we earn our members' trust. Often it's by showing them that we trust them. And the example I gave you is like lending um, money to folks for their first car who, who don't have a big credit history established. So we're showing trust to them early on in their lives, and then they're showing us later that they do trust us um, with their financial well-being. So, Pam, you, you obviously talked a little bit about the empathy that Navy Federal Credit Union has for members. So can you talk a little bit about how do you get people who work at the credit union to empathize with members? Well, we try to make sure that they walk a mile or two in a member's shoes. I mean, one of the things that, um, you know, at Paris Island where um, men and women become Marines they have graduation 40 out of 52 weeks a year. Um, and because of that, then they have a graduation run. There's 20,000 recruits that come to Paris Island annually for that chance to become a U.S. Marine. And after their 13 weeks of training, about 16,000 of them are going to become Marines. Well, for us, we have our branch people there, 40 of those weeks, every graduation. They're there at the graduation run at 7 o'clock in the morning. And seeing the families that come and are so proud of their 
Marines. And um, just being part of that, A, showing a member that we're proud of them and proud to be there and part of their service. But it allows our folks behind the banner, if you will, the ones that work in the branch that have made the commitment to be there at 7 o'clock in the morning, um, they get to see those families and they get to see the pride that's there and they get to see this really be there at a really crucial point in this person's life. And that really allows our member service reps to know how important it is and to know how important the family is as part of that grounding um, to our members. So for those that don't have those don't have those opportunities as part of their job, we'll make it where it's important for them to spend time in a call center listening to calls. Um, you can talk all about financial stress um, with somebody in their mm -hmm. life, but until you sit there with headphones on next to a member service rep who's helping a member who you can see in their account that they've got transactions coming in, their paychecks coming in, and sometimes those things are going to be close and tight. And you can hear that story, but until you sit there on the phone and hear the nervousness in that person's voice, um, you really do develop the empathy and feel for them and know how important it is that um, we get it right. You know, there's this, this story told sometimes in the retail arena, especially with Nordstrom's, I think is usually the example made, which is they empower their frontline people to make decisions live. And the customer feels that. They feel like they're working with someone who's working with them and something tangible can come from that. So it's just a script. And other firms worry about that because that that is an uncontrollable thing. But it seems like ingrained in your culture and ingrained in your operations is this inherent trust and faith in the front line that empowerment is not your concern. It's it's their ability to be outfitted by you guys to do the things that they know to be right. And that's a that's a seems like a very specific philosophy and a differentiated philosophy. Yeah, we do lots of training for that so that we've, we've got to train our frontline employees as well as our backroom employees, if you will, um, to think about that member and to make sure that they're making a decision for them. Um, and sometimes that starts with product development. I mean, we just introduced a, a, an app update that's very much designed with our members. It's almost like co-created with our members. It's, it's created around not only things we heard, but in work sessions we did with them on how could this app be better? What is the thing you want to see that's not easy to find? How do we help you um, under that? How do we help you faster? Knowing that the app is such a crucial part of their daily interaction with us, you know, are we designing it for them, not just for us, and the, the things that we want to make more efficient? So training is really an important part of that. And then making sure that the member, and I know this sounds kind of like a broken record, but making sure that they are always at the table and the forefront of what we do. So building on that, Pam, Navy Federal Credit Union just passed 8 million members. And there's, I, I believe, to be an ambition to extend beyond, I mean, obviously to serve and continue to serve the military and extend beyond that. Could you kind of walk us through a little bit the company's ambition over the next couple of years, how it's going to build on these strengths and sort of grow its member base beyond the $8 million? Sure, but I'll start with kind of stepping back in time. Last year in 2017, we expanded our charter to include veterans. So anybody that served in the military and left with an honorable discharge, so you could have served three years, you could have served four years, you could have served 10 years. Um, and left and now have a different life that's not connected to the military. 
prior to 2017, those folks were not eligible for membership unless they still were family of active duty. So we expanded the charter in 2017 um, to uh, include veterans. And um, there was some question internally about, well, what we do is really built around that whole military orientation and keeping that in the DNA. For these people that have may have served 10, 15 years ago, is it still relevant? Um, and the more work we did, the more work we kept hearing those affirmations in that, yes, they still want, whether you served or not, you still have appreciation for that service model. Um, you want a financial institution that shows that they know you and can understand your needs. Um, your, your service, even though it may have been way in your past, um, earned you some benefits. And the fact that we understand that really makes us still a relevant provider to those individuals. Um, so part of it is, and we, we refer to it here as kind of drawing the circle wider. So if you look at our marketing materials from last year in 2017, there was nothing that said veterans can now join. <laughs> For us, it was more about let's include them. Let's make sure they know they're included, but they're not anymore or less important. Everybody's important. And then from a service aspect, to your point, we looked at what we did and said, does somebody who's currently not serving, are these things relevant to them? Do they still care about value in terms of good rates and products and services? Do they care about the fact that we are very um, fee-light? Um, is that value orientation still important to this individual as well as the one that we were really created to serve? And the answer is yes. Um, so how we connect with them changes a little bit. Um, it's shifted some of our media investments um, to be more national in scope because veterans can be everywhere. Sometimes they do retire in military, in military towns, but often they'll retire, you know, lots of different places. Or in the scenario I talked about where somebody served four years and has now got a civilian job, they could be anywhere. Um, and then we've also tried to expand some of our branch presence now in some of those key markets where there's not active duty, but there is a good base of veterans. So trying to keep that omni-channel presence in the markets that matter. And did it change, going back to maybe Jen's question, did it change how you interface with, with veterans that you may not know as well? Did it change sort of the way that you thought of onboarding, continuous relationship management, or anything like that to people that were physically away from your branches, but nonetheless equally as important to you? It changed a little bit on the onboarding because, as you could imagine, for we talked about the active duty 18-year-old, 19-year-old who's starting out their financial life and their new careers, their questions on onboarding are very different than, let's say, somebody who served and is now 30 years old and has had multiple banking institutions and, and they're more developed in their life. They may already own a home, et cetera. So their onboarding needs are less about um, – financial budgeting and manage it, it's more sometimes for, for that person, the onboarding is how do you interact with us? Um, sometimes it's what's a credit union and why does it matter? Um, and then sometimes it is a specific product like a VA loan um, that they qualify for because of their service. And they really like what we do in the context that we, we understand more about how to process those. So they're not showing up at, at an institution where somebody's like, what exactly do you need for a VA loan? I mean, we know that. We know what to do. We know how to help them and, and help them faster. So their needs are a little bit different, um, but the orientation in terms of keeping their needs in the forefront is very similar to that uh, brand-new person. So as, as you draw the circle wider and you pick up the veterans, you're picking up people, as, as you stated, that may not be physically near your branches. 
and they may be in a civilian career, meaning they may be looking at different banking opportunities, which include sort of the big banks and also some of the emerging fintech providers and even getting some some sort of banking services from the commerce platforms like like Amazon. So how does that, how did that change your competitive thinking, either in terms of looking at that as a threat or looking at that as a new opportunity to partner or work with them? Well, it did change the competitive set because the veterans probably have already had a financial relationship. So um, sometimes we had veterans where a lot of our active duty members will come to us for multiple relationships. So they'll open a checking account, they'll open a savings account, and they'll open a credit card pretty soon after they become members. So veterans, when they come in the door, they may have joined, they joined, so you have to become a member first. So they would join for membership, and they might take a single product. And some of that was a little bit different for us because we kind of had to think about how do we shine when they're really, we're in this kind of trial or dating part of the relationship. So regardless of the product they picked, they might pick an investment product. They might pick a mortgage, which is obviously a big product, but something that you may not interact with us as often as you would for credit card, for example, or checking, for example. Um, so we try to make sure that the experience, regardless of how you've chosen to try out Navy Federal as a financial institution to meet your needs, that we really were bringing our A game to meet those needs. So for us, for the whole thing with fintechs is, yes, it is a competition, it is a competitor, but we, we don't believe that most of the fintechs deliver what we do, which is that whole balance of the digital as well as the physical presence of the brand. So, Pam, you came to Navy Federal Credit Union a year and a half ago, thereabouts, and you took the leadership of a marketing team in a climate where marketing it's, as a function is changing pretty significantly. What did it look like when you came on board, and what was sort of your, your first year things that had to get tackled? The good news for me here is, as a new leader, it was clear that this culture really was about member first and this member obsession that you've heard me speak about. So that was really easy for me in the context of, I think when I read other CMOs stories and hear what they're doing and they're trying to do an entire transformation, for me it was less about a transformation. It was more about amplifying what we were already doing. Um, like I said, it was deep in our DNA and our culture that the members were first. And um, how we operationalized that was changing a bit with veterans coming on board. But by the same token, part of what my job was is how do we amplify that and make sure that members and prospects feel it across the enterprise. Um, we have introduced some agile um, marketing efforts and really just put that under the four tenets. You know, is this member focused? Is it insight driven? Is it fast? And is it connected? And connected could mean a couple of different things. It could be connected across the enterprise. Um, and in that way, you may, you may catch on that I'm alluding to the fact that we probably had more silos than we needed and fewer integrated teams. So connected for us was internally, are the teams connected? Connected across business groups and across members and across product lines? Um, and are they going <laughs> connected Vertically, horizontally, and diagonally. Um, so trying to make sure that we had uh, more teams, but smaller teams, working together on things. And that also was helping us get faster in terms of our delivery. So I had a lot of things. Um, I had a great foundation to build on, 
but um, trying to operationalize that and get us more agile in our approach to marketing. Is there an example, like a very specific item that you can share with the audience in terms of this couldn't get off the ground or we weren't prioritizing this effort previously and upon your arrival, you, you sort of put that front and center? Yeah, I think it started with some basic things because we were already responding quickly to when things happened. Mm -hmm. Um, However, part of looking at that experience was could we respond faster if we do some pre-planning in the context of let's go ahead and plan when there's an incident and how we respond and whether that's a weather incident that's going to happen in a member market or um, if there was ever a um, security or a cybersecurity incident, how do we plan for all those things? Um, and then how do we respond faster to different member needs um, that might be it? So we took a hard look at, like, how we were reaching out to our members, how long it was taking us to do it, and what would it take for us to be faster in that. And um, some of it was blowing up some old approaches and starting over, and some of it was really just kind of tweaking and, and um processes that we had done on a waterfall path and trying to put more um, where we had folks working together. So in product marketing, for example, instead of us developing a campaign and sending it to clients and then sending it to the product group, and we'd send it to everybody at the same time and um, try to make sure that we were cutting down quickly. And we have gotten much faster in terms of being able to um, deliver all of those campaigns. And in an era of personalization, not just deliver a campaign, but deliver multiple campaigns for the same initiative. Um, Because somebody who's in that uh, veteran stage of life that we've talked a little bit about, or somebody who's active duty um, and has got very different needs, they shouldn't have the same marketing. Needs to come from the same brand, but how do we apply what we have in terms of our member segmentation stuff and our persona work that we've done to customize um, that work? Yeah, I was just going to ask, what is the work around that personalization or individualization at scale? I'm, I'm sure maybe there was some, some data work that had to be done on, on your end as well to, to make that happen. Lots of data work. Um, we had a lot of the data. We had a lot of good data, but trying to operationalize it and connect the data. Um, so there was some foundational work we had to do there. We had segmentation, um, probably had not implemented as much. Um, in the context of really just saying, you know, sometimes it's like, well, who doesn't need a um, car loan at 1.9%? That's everybody. Well, that is everybody, except for it looks different in the type of car that the 19-year-old is going to buy versus Mm -hmm. the person who's buying a car for their family at 35. Um, So, you know, how do we apply the data that we had, the member information that we had, as well as outside information and, um, develop and fine-tune some of our modeling so that we could increase our um, touch points uh, with our members. And I don't mean increase them just in terms of the frequency, but increase the relevance um, that was in each one of those touch points going out to our members. I'm keenly interested in your prior comment, Pam, about the connected part. As we've worked with different clients, they're trying to unhitch themselves from their prior hierarchies because the hierarchies sort of spawned silos, which spawned tribes. So teams had a tough time forming, whether they formed horizontally, vertically, or diagonally, as you described it. And in a lot of firms, so they 
under the auspices of innovation are trying to form these teams of different skill sets to, to, to form rapidly, move from forming to performing quickly, and then may, maybe disband once the task is completed. So how did you think of getting these teams to work together that might have existed in different silos previously? Well, we thought about it in a couple of different ways. Um, and I'll give you an example of an initiative we called uh, Credit Confidence. And Credit Confidence was an initiative we took for members that we were actually declining on a product. Um, what do they need? What kind of educational content do they need to really improve their credit score for the future? And we talked about this. We started out with a discussion like, okay, we've just told these people no. Are they even going to open our emails? Um, and I'm happy to report you know, 99.9% .9 of the emails were deliverable, which told me that nobody had disconnected. Um, we had an open rate that was three times the industry average in terms of those emails. Um, we had a video content that told people what they could do to improve their credit score. 35% of the people that opened the email watched the video, which told wow. me that we were delivering information to these members that they really cared about. So when you think about that initiative, it's like, okay, talking about putting people together in a team. That's people from the business unit group. That's people from member education. It is um, our folks from the individual business unit that had declined the person relative to their credit. You know, like, um, it's our video content. So part of it was to do those type of initiatives that are going to have meaningful impact in terms of our members' lives, who all is involved and who all needs to be involved. Um, you know, we needed to make sure that branch and contact center knew about it because we know from our member utilization of the channels, there's going to be somebody that calls and says, I got this email with a video and I have a question. So we wanted to make sure that they knew what was happening. So something that was a simple pilot and worked really, really well, um, it really did, as most things do, took a village. Um, so, but that kind of helped us build steam when those type of initiatives are going well then the next time you reach out to somebody and say, I need your help with this, and despite the fact that you work on the digital team, I think you might have um, input and guidance that can help with this. And it's like, great. And people loved the um, opportunity to be included and work cross-functional teams. Um, so it really kind of built steam from there. So, Pam, I, I think of the history of Navy Federal Credit Union and sort of your accomplishments both as a firm and as a person one of the things that strikes me is the the word you used earlier, which is the word amplification, meaning you guys know your strengths and you're working to amplify them. Different firms have different situations on their hands where some things are crises and some you know some things require large scale transformation. Other things can be sur surgical improvements. What advice do you have for others that are attempting to amplify what strengths they have? I think I'd start with the moments of those trying to farm for and find those gems of truth. And the reason I call them gems of truth is they can be moments that you've got incredible feedback from your, in our case, members, but some people, customers, um, for things that really surprised and delighted them and, and maybe just an everyday way. And also the gem can be th that diamond in the rough, if you will, in terms of what has been really hard for your customers that shouldn't be? What could you simplify? So I think if you try to start first by backing up and saying, what are the points that are working really well? How do we amplify that and bring that same experience to other products and services across the member base? 
And then the other part is working on those pain points because, um, let's face it, um, expectations continue to rise. Um, people have very high expectations driven by sometimes what's happening in the fintech world. And so sometimes it's hard to have those things that people will leave you for a pain point. So how do you find those pain points and fix them? Um, we did a lot of journey mapping on different processes, and that helped us kind of find those pain points and allowed us to focus on how we really could make a difference. So my step one would be taking that step back and looking at, for the harvest for good that you can amplify, as well as things that are on the, the things that have been failures or disappointments that you can fix and um, try to fix them from the member perspective um, versus just internally what you might do. Thank you, Pam. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining us, Pam. Thank you so much. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And don't forget to leave us a review. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.